Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to be with you today, and we're going to take up a really important topic. Before we do that, let's introduce our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. Uh, Dr. Charles, thanks for being here. It's so good to be here, Ron. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Tell me a little bit about uh, your patient population and whether uh, the topic we're taking up today, kidney stones, is something that you see. So, of course, the majority of the patients that I see are in the Medicare age group. We've got the majority being 65 and over, although we do have a few patients that are a little bit younger. Um, But yeah, I mean, I uh, kidney stones is a very important topic, you know, because it can be such a significant source of pain. You know, we can have ER visits and hospitalizations secondary to kidney stones, and there may be things that our patients can do to prevent and, um, you know, prevent recurrences or prevent ever having one in the first place. So I think it's a great topic for us to discuss today. Now, I've never had a baby, but they tell me having a kidney stone is almost as painful as having a baby without an anesthetic. I think that's pretty accurate from what I hear as well. I've never had a stone myself, but I have had a baby. So <laughs> <laughs> there you are. There so you, you go. You know what that's like. Yes. Well, let's welcome our special guest today, Dr. Parth Shaw. He's a urologist at the USMD Fort Worth Clearfort Clinic in Fort Worth, Texas. Earned his medical degree at the University of Texas Medical School in Houston. He completed his urology residency at the University of Michigan Health System in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Dr. Shaw is board certified by the American Board of Urology. And Dr. Shaw, great to see you. Thanks for being with us. It's a pleasure being here and I appreciate you bringing me on board. What was it about urology that interested you in that specialty? I think it's the continuity of care that I get as a surgeon um, that kind of appealed to me the most. And also, I like the fact that I can kind of focus on prevention as well as treatment of medical ailments like we're going to be talking about today. So not only do I help treat kidney stones surgically, but also it can help drive the conversation for stone prevention and optimize those strategies. So that balance of both surgery and medicine really is what drove me to urology. Now, most folks have heard of kidney stones, and if you haven't experienced it, I hope you never have to. But give us the 411. What are kidney stones? Yep. So kidney stones are essentially small pieces of calcifications that can be created randomly. There are certain things that we do with our diet and our fluid hydration status that helps promote kidney stones. And we'll talk about that as we go along the way. But as long as the stones are within the kidney, they may not cause any problems. The problem begins when the kidney stones drop and they start causing a blockage or obstruction of flow of urine. And that's where the pain, like you were talking about earlier, that's that's very severe and can often lead to patients seeking out the ER for pain relief. Uh, So that's when that problem happens. So my goal as a urologist is to really prevent the stone from happening in the first place. So we're not meeting in such an urgent setting for immediate treatment for pain relief or improving the the obstruction or the harm from the blockage uh, of the stone. I've heard of cases where uh, airliners have landed uh, prematurely in order to get a patient off who was experiencing a kidney stone because they were in so much incredible pain. 
Yeah, that's true. And oftentimes when we take care of pilots and treat their stones before they can drop and cause us severe pain just for a safety standpoint. So uh, kidney stones are indeed very, very uh, problematic and symptomatic. And that's why the biggest thing and the best thing we're doing right now is talking about them and making sure that we can do things to implement preventive strategies so we're not meeting in, a, in an urgent situation where we're dealing with the pain. So that leads to the obvious question, how do we prevent them? Yeah, so, you know, the the age-old adage of uh, the simple things are often the hardest things to do, but the best for you holds true for kidney stones. And what I tell my patients is that uh, there are certain kidney stones require a certain environment for, for them to be born and to grow. And I don't know if you've ever you made rock candy. That's one of those things I did growing up. But essentially, you, you watch a crystal form, and from that crystal forms another crystal and another crystal, and the whole rock uh, candy formation gets bigger. The same idea with kidney stones. Stones are usually made out of calcium, and so there's a calcium mineralization that happens. And over time in the right environment, more and more calcium deposits on that initial crystal and you make a stone. So what I tell my patients is we have to break down certain chemicals as good guys and bad guys. So good guys that can help prevent kidney stones are things like citrate, which is what we find in lemon juice and lime juice, and also fluid or water, which can help dilute out some of these minerals. The bad minerals in our diet and our urine are calcium, uric acid, oxalate, salt, and sugar. So a lot of the things we like to have and eat uh, don't really help prevent kidney stones. And so the, the goal is to balance the good guys and the bad guys so we can lead to an improvement in kidney stone risks down the road. And the way we do that is really by understanding what the components uh, of these minerals are in our urine and then target our strategies for dietary changes to those components. Now, hold that thought. I want to come right back to you. But for folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. Our very special guest today is Dr. Parth Shaw. He's a urologist at the USMD Clinic in Fort Worth, Clear Fork Clinic. And we're talking about kidney stones. Ouch. Dr. Shaw, if you have them and they don't hurt yet, do you know you have them? Oftentimes, kidney stones get picked up uh, just asymptomatically or without causing any uh, symptoms or problems uh, on routine imaging done for other problems. So no, uh, you may have a kidney stone and you may not know that you have it until it starts moving and causing a blockage of flow of urine. And that's where the pain happens. And you mentioned, go ahead. I'm sorry, Marisa. Yeah, no, I was going to say, there's so many things that can cause abdominal pain. What are some clues that you would have people look for so that they can know if they should suspect that they might be experiencing passing a kidney stone? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the, the kidneys are located all the way on the back side of the body. So most patients have a pain that's on the flank or the left back or the right back that, you know, extends down to the groin or the loin area. That's very classic for kidney stone related pain. Often associated with that, patients get severe nausea, vomiting. Sometimes they notice a change in urinary habits. So frequency, urgency of urination, uh, sometimes blood in the urine. So those are all kind of go along with the fact of kidney stones. And my patients tell me, once you have a kidney stone, you always remember what it feels like because there's nothing else like it. That's muscle so like memory you never forget. Right? Yes, like exactly. It's, it's a colicky pain that, uh, you know, radiates and spasms from the back all the way down to the front into the lower abdomen groin area. And is there anything you can do to relieve the pain uh, short of passing the kidney stone or surgically removing it? 
Yeah, so they're depending on um, you know how much of a blockage a stone is causing and, and the patient's other medical underlying medical conditions. We can use anti-inflammatory medication. In fact, Motrin or ibuprofen has been studied to be more effective in pain control for kidney stone related pain compared to even narcotic medications. So that's often what we rely on, and the emergency department uh, can give you IV formulation to pay. Uh, anti-inflammatory medication, or even managing patients in an outpatient setting, just plain old Motrin or ibuprofen does the trick, along with using other medications um, to help improve the passage of stone, something called Tamsulosin or Flomax uh, has been studied to help improve stone passage rates in patients that have kidney stones. Now, Flomax is also medication given for those who are having uh, uh, prostate problems. That's absolutely correct. The the same receptors that are on the prostate where the Flomax medication helps with are also inside the ureter tube. And so uh, the Flomax medicine helps passage of both the, the stones as well as men that have prostate enlargement. And sometimes this is still a, a newer use of the medication. So we'll get, uh, you know, uh, quizzical looks from other physicians or pharmacists about the indications of using this medication, especially in our female patients. But indeed, uh, for patients that are passing a kidney stone, uh, it, it does help improve stone passage rates. Now, is that an off-label use? It is currently an off-label use, yes. So you mentioned females. Uh, are kidney stones gender neutral? Doesn't matter who you are, what you are? So the, the old theory was men were more predisposed to making kidney stones than women. I think uh, we now understand that kidney stones uh, see no gender, and uh, it's more of a dietary prevalence that's causing the change in the incidence of stones over time. So now you're seeing female patients catch up in all the studies for having likelihood of having stones. So no, uh, both men and women are equally predisposed to making kidney stones. That's because women are now eating the bad food men used to eat. Exactly. <laughs> What kind of diet would you recommend then for folks? You mentioned some of the liquids, uh, lemon juice, lime juice, water. What about foods that we consume? Yeah, so that, again, a great question. And people have been trying to study this in, in retrospective and prospective studies uh, about what is there a magic kidney stone diet. And, you know, the closest we've gotten to understanding that the best diet is uh, the DASH diet. And this is uh, the type of diet that's well described in preventing hypertension in patients that are seen by primary care physicians. So basically what this diet focuses on is limiting salt in the diet, uh, as well as improving intake of, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables and things with calcium and other minerals that are healthy for you. So that the DASH diet's been studied and actually can help improve kidney stone formation about 40 or 50% in some of the studies that, that have kind of looked at this. In terms of kind of some patients like more concrete data. So tell me exactly what I need to eat of which component. Exactly. So my takeaway would be for patients that are making kidney stones or at risk for making kidney stones, limiting salt intake to less than two grams a day uh, would be one uh, one of those things I'd recommend. The other thing would be to have about one uh, milligram per kilogram of protein intake per day. And in terms of calcium intake, and that's this is where sometimes it can be sort of counterintuitive. A lot of patients think that they need to avoid calcium intake just because their stones are made out of calcium. Why would I intake calcium if I'm making calcium stones? But the physiology is a little bit more complicated. So what I'd encourage patients uh, is uh, to actually have a normal intake of calcium, which is about 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams of calcium per day, and to avoid uh, calcium supplements through pills, because uh, that's what can actually 
give you too much calcium and lead to increase in kidney stones. So normal intake of calcium through the diet is actually helpful uh, to prevent kidney stones. So I can keep gobbling up my broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Exactly. And, and you know, moderation is key um, to most everything in life. But uh, when we're eating fruits and vegetables, it provides a good um, alkali load, which can help improve the acid levels in your body, which can also help prevent kidney stones. So that's where fruits and vegetables are important, uh, along with limiting some of the other things that we had talked about uh, earlier. Is there a genetic composition uh, to those who get kidney stones? If my dad had them, my mom had them, I'm going to get them. Yeah, so there is a familial tie to get for, for kidney stone formers. So that's one of those things I like to understand as a as a urologist is who in your family has kidney stones, and that can help drive certain things we should screen for from a genetic standpoint that can perhaps predispose you more to making kidney stones than your neighbor. We're going to come back to this in just a moment. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. We're talking on our Wellman Radio Hotline from Fort Worth, Texas, with Dr. Parth Shaw. He's a urologist at the Fort Worth Clear Fork Clinic. You're listening to WellMed Radio. You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number, and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. We're talking with Dr. Parth Shaw. He is a urologist with the USMD Fort Worth Clear Fork Clinic up in Fort Worth, Texas. And we're delighted to have him on board uh, talking about kidney stones. And we can expand it in just a couple of moments into other issues that urologists deal with. But before we leave the kidney stones, you were mentioning uh, just a moment ago, Dr. Uh, Shaw, that uh, there is a genetic component, uh, you believe, uh, to getting kidney stones. Yes, uh, that's absolutely correct. So there are certain uh, genetic disorders that predispose patients to make more kidney stones than, than others. Uh, oftentimes, uh, these are very uh, dramatic in, in presentation. So very rarely do I diagnose this initially as a urologist. Um, so oftentimes, patients come pre-diagnosed to me with these conditions. But along with the genetic components, there are other things like medications that patients may take for a seizure disorder, things of that nature that can also predispose patients for kidney stones. So so my job is to kind of tease out, are there certain modifiable things that we can do uh, to help prevent these stones from forming? And that often requires a review of not only family history, like you were mentioning, but also certain medications uh, as well that, can, that I know can cause kidney stones. What would those medications be? 
Yeah, so some of those medications are things like topiramate, which are medications for commonly used for seizure disorder. Uh, other medications are uh, things used for HIV, like indinavir. So those are two of the more common ones that are well described that are fairly apparent in the community. There are some other medications that are much more infrequently encountered, but those are the two most common ones. And when you take a history, uh, Dr. Charles, uh, do you ask about uh, family members who had kidney stones? You know, not typically. I mean, if, you know, we always ask about family history and, you know, especially, you know, what, you know, are your parents still living? Of course, most of my patients do not have their parents still living. And so, you know, what did they pass away from? But as a specific question, do you tend to have kidney stones? Not necessarily, but um, definitely a very interesting, um, a very interesting thought that you can have a genetic component there. You know, I guess, Dr. Shell, the only good news is you don't die from a kidney stone, right? Well, even you know, though you may want to, exactly. Even though you may want to, and it's a, it's a terrible uh, place to be in terms of having that true renal colic pain. But the kidney stones sometimes can 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 are, are very serious things because uh, oftentimes, like I was saying earlier, they can block the flow of urine. And if there's a few bacteria in that urine, then they can overgrow and overpopulate be in that urine. And now you have a bad urinary tract infection that can't be drained. So one of the few things that you know I worry about is. Uh, is a patient have a UTI and a blocking stone and renal colic, that would be an emergency for me to handle. The other things would be, well, is the stone causing so much blockage that the kidneys are going into failure? So that's another sort of emergency situation where we would need to treat the kidney stone sooner rather than later. So in overall, uh, no, uh, they're, they're fairly well managed, but there are certain specific cl- uh, clinical scenarios where you know they can certainly be a life-threatening emergency. I mean, I, I once had a patient who had a very large stone for a very long time that actually developed a fistula and was draining out. I don't know. I don't think that's very common, but definitely a, a possible complication of untreated, undiagnosed kidney stones as well. What is a fistula? It's just a, a, fist- a connection, a passage. Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Shaw. You can try. No, I'm sorry. I I I didn't mean to (laughs) jump in there, but uh, yeah, like you were saying, just a connection between uh, one organ system to another that doesn't need to be there. So it's uh, essentially what I tell patients, it's a new tunnel or route uh, that your body's developed due to either usually some sort of blockage or infection or malignancy uh, that can cause these fistulas to form. And what happened in your patient's case? He, he ended up needing surgery. Yes, we, we actually had to get our urologist to help and, and surgery helped fix that. So I was going to ask Dr. Shaw, so paint a picture. So if a patient goes to the ER, gets diagnosed with a kidney stone, but is stable, like what can they expect, you know, going home and, you know, what should they be looking for and what should they do? What would be signals that they're not doing well and need to go back to the hospital versus, you know, that they're, that everything is going appropriately and they should be fine. Yeah. So generally just listening to the body and relying on the, on the symptoms that we had talked about. So patients, uh, we can manage them conservatively with some pain medications like we had discussed, as long as they're able to keep food down, they're able to tolerate the pain and they're not developing fevers, chills, and feeling miserable where they need to get treated. Um, sometimes my patients ask me, well, doc, I, I know I have the stone. I don't want to have surgery how long do I have to deal with this terrible pain? And the answer is, uh, you know, it can sometimes take weeks uh, for the stones to pass on their own. And uh, so depending on the size of the stone, where it is and its journey uh, from within the kidney to down to the bladder uh, dictates how long it, it can take. But 
you know, what I quote my patients that can take upwards to four weeks to pass a stone. And depending on the size, that percentage might be only 50%. So, you know, I've really motivated patients sometimes that want to avoid surgery and say, sure, let's try it. Let's come back and see me in a month and see how you're doing. Often they, they change their mind a week or so later and we schedule them for a procedure. And describe the procedure. Is that a major surgery? Is it with a local? Is it, you know, with tiny little holes? How do you do the surgery? Yeah, excellent question. So, uh, you know, this is currently the golden age in medicine, in my opinion, and urology is no different just because we have so much technology available. Um, so there's three major ways to break up stones or treat stones. One is using shockwave therapy, which is done under anest- uh, general anesthesia, but using an ultrasound device, shockwaves are kind of used to break the, uh, the stone up without making any incisions or without any invasive procedure. So that's so one option. It. Exactly. You blast it with shock waves. Um, the second option, which is now becoming more of the preferred route, is to po- pass a very small camera uh, through uh, the urethra tube where we urinate from up into the tube that connects the kidney down to the bladder called the ureter and up to the point where the stone is and using a laser breaking up the stone into very small pieces or dust and often I remove uh, pieces uh, with a basket so the patients don't have to pass the debris on their own and that's called ureteroscopy. And then the final way is to put a small hole in the kidney uh, to extract the stone uh, using a procedure called a percutaneous nephrolithotomy or PCNL. I know it's a mouthful to say, and that would be um, one of the more invasive type of surgery done to remove kidney stones. Right now, the more common procedure is that ureteroscopy procedure using the laser. And that's typically a, a very common case, takes about 30 minutes, does require general anesthesia because you're not going to want to be awake when we put cameras up into the urethra tube uh, and into the bladder. Uh, but certainly a, a quick procedure with very minimal uh, you know, side effects, quick recovery. Patients are doing uh, normal activity the next day, and it's an outpatient procedure in the majority of the cases. That's very hopeful. I'm sure that's comforting for a lot of patients, you know, to know that they may be able to just be in and out with a procedure like that if needed. So that's great. And is that something, obviously you need special training that you went through uh, to do that, um, tiny little camera and, and a laser. How difficult was that to learn? Well, you know, I, we could, often we joke, uh, I'm, I'm glad I grew up in the 90s because I played a lot of video games and often there's a lot of parallels with, with the scopes. So I, I joke that. with my... Yeah, my, I joke with my, my patients uh, that, uh, you know, our, this generation of doctors have played video games quite a bit. And contrary to our parents' belief, it actually helped me uh, get to the point where I am right now. But, uh, uh, you know, all, all joking aside, it, it's, a, it's a fairly common procedure that we do uh, during our residency and training program. We do hundred, uh, probably thousands of these cases because they're so quick. And unfortunately, kidney stones are so common. So we see a lot of these patients. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it does require, you know, like we had mentioned, training, but it is one one of the more common procedures that, that we do as urologists. And like I mentioned, it's currently the standard of care. How tiny is that camera? Like your size of your fingernail? Yeah, exactly. I would say it's about the, the, the diameter of a tip of a pen. Wow. That's incredible. So, and it gives so, you a full, full color picture. Exactly. HD, HD picture <laughs> and uh, very magnified. So certainly, it, you know, the technology has come so far along, not only in the past few years, but from where we started, you know, now we have high definition cameras and monitors where it just, you know, seems like you're, 
you're watching a nice set uh, TV or movie, whereas how urology started, all these cameras were lighted using uh, candles and you had to have your face on the camera as you're kind of navigating that scope into your body. So like I said, we're in the golden age where technology's really kind of allowed us to push the boundary increase the recovery of patients after after procedures like this and really improve the side effect profile. So it's, even though you may not want to have kidney stone surgery, uh, you know, the, the technology has made it a much quicker recovery and a very facile surgery. And, and as you take a look at that procedure versus the uh, blow it up uh, with a sonic boom in your kidney, is that procedure still used? Yeah, so we now have more tools in our toolbox, so we can pick the appropriate treatment for the type of stone, how big it is, where is it located, how, you know, what the patient's medical problems and comorbidities are. So we can really select the right type of surgery for each clinical situation. So yes, there's still a role for the shockwave, the, the blasting technique like you're talking about, and it just depends on, on the stone and the location. So Dr. Shaw, we got about a minute left, and uh... Uh, I, I want to find out if there isn't any, anything we haven't asked you that you want to share with our women radio listeners. Yeah, you know, I, it's it's great that we're talking about the surgery and the procedure, how to treat kidney stones. But again, my, my takeaway from, from most of my patients is as much as I, you know, enjoy the procedural aspect of kidney stones, the, 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 the crux is going to be in how to prevent these stones. And so increasing your fluid intake, you know, as long as it's water, something that's not sugary uh, to where you're making about two and a half liters worth of urine a day has been shown to be the most helpful in preventing kidney stones. And if you are making kidney stones, please don't avoid uh, calcium at all costs. You actually need the calcium to help, uh, you know, not only with your bone density and your bone health, but also to help prevent kidney stones. So so I would, you know, those are the two biggest takeaways Perfect. from this conversation. And the third one is you can't go wrong with adding a little bit of lemon juice or lime juice into your water. So Thank that's you. what I would encourage. Dr. Parth Shaw, urologist, USMD, Fort Worth Clearfork Clinic. I'm Ron Aaron. For our co-host, Marisa Charles, thank you all for joining us today on WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.